Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News, editor and founder. Levels look great. Appreciate you joining the program here today. And, you know, wanted to find out what's going on up in the Marcellus. A little bit different than the other shale plays. Hasn't been getting a lot of news these days nationally, but I imagine there's always something going on in the Marcellus. So thanks for joining the program today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Jason. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, what, 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 let's well, just start know, with, you know, kind of a, a State of the Union, State of the uh, Marcellus, and then transition into what, what your number one story right now is. Sure thing. Um, as I look out over the landscape and, uh, you know, considering what I've been writing about and what I hear about and what people are interested in reading, um, you know, a couple of things have, have been happening. I, I suspect, like in other plays, um, like in the Bakken and the Permian and other plays, one of the big recurring stories um, that we have revolves around pipelines and um, opposition to pipelines, and it comes in various forms, um, primarily litigation uh, that's, that's been launched by uh, environmental groups like the Sierra Club and others. Um, so, can I can I interrupt you real quick? There, I just I wanted to yeah. ask you while it was fresh in my mind. You brought that up because that has been a problem in the Bakken, specifically with the Davis Refinery Meridian Energy Group has spent a year and a half, two years in litigation, and we've transitioned the conversation over the past year that. More specifically, the last probably seven months is that this is the new strategy to bleed them of their resources. Are you finding that's the case out there in the Marcellus too? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely the case. I would say nationwide, that's the strategy. If um, if these groups can uh, tie up uh, these major projects for extra months or years. Um, they, they you know, they're trying to run out the clock, and so this is you know I've seen it in a number of, of major projects. It started more than four years ago, I guess maybe five years ago now, with a pipeline project out here that we call the Constitution Pipeline, which uh, is supposed to run out of northeast Pennsylvania, Susquehanna County, up into the southern tier area of New York and through our area. And so I, I'm setting talking to you from the Binghamton, New York area. So as, as we joked, you know, prior, Jason, I, I say that I live and I work behind enemy lines. Um, so I'm writing about all this great stuff, but, you know, in the state that I live in, we can't partake of any of it. So our governor has opposed this pipeline coming up into the state, a pipeline that would deliver gas that we need here in the state and gas that would go on from our state to other states, to New England. And so that began uh, like over four years ago, um, all of this uh, business of uh, delay, you know, delay, 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 and then finally deny. So in this case, in the, in the case of the Constitution, that was state government that was engaging in that. But, but now we're facing other major projects that have been delayed, and it's costing billions with a B uh, tacked on to the cost of these projects and is delaying them for months and years. So I'm talking about the, um, the, the Mountain Valley Pipeline um, that uh, travels from southern uh, West Virginia 
um, I'm sorry, not southern West Virginia, Wetzel County, West Virginia, so the southern part of the, the, the Panhandle area, um, and travels down through um, into Virginia, down to southern Virginia. And that project has been uh, now delayed somewhat. It's 85 to 90% built, but it's still being delayed because of uh, litigation that challenges uh, U.S. Uh, Fish and Wildlife Service permit over four supposedly endangered species. Um, and so that's holding things up there. Um, Atlantic Coast Pipeline, uh, Dominion Energy's Atlantic Coast Pipeline, 600-mile pipeline, major, major pipeline, again from West Virginia through Virginia into North Carolina, um, delivering you know, badly needed supplies of natural gas uh, into the south. And it was the same sort of strategy. So a couple of different lawsuits, one uh, that challenged U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service permits, but another that uh, challenged um, another government agency uh, permit um, from the U.S. Forest Service that would allow the pipeline to cross under, not over, not through, but under the Appalachian Trail. And, uh, and that that particular lawsuit is actually now on appeal at the Supreme Court. So, you know, these kinds of delays are literally costing several billion dollars more added. There are literally thousands of workers out of, out of jobs right now, idled, because these companies cannot build these pipelines. So that's a, you know, for me, that's a really, that's a big deal. And it is a strategy. It's just this ongoing you know, opposition uh, driven by whatever. I, I think it's driven by a what I call an irrational hatred of fossil fuels. Well, we've been covering this for about five years. We've called it the rise of environmentalism to where in the past year we've just said it's a, a cult of environmentalism. And we're saying that from an anthropological Pological standpoint, where Webster's Dictionary, uh, the, the the you know Anthropology 101, because there there is there there's this emotional attachment that is brought to an environment that people can relate to and they romanticize about it, and it's a very dangerous path that that's that's happened because the environment should be very sterile. In my opinion, it's, it's, it should be more science than it should be. I mean, go out and enjoy it without a doubt and, and get all of those spiritual and, and emotional attachments. But when you're talking about the actual black and white science part of it, that, that should be sterile science. It shouldn't be consensus science or it shouldn't be uh, this, this cult or this emotional attachment that's brought to it. I wanted to ask you about the state. Um, and, and you can comment on, on you know, my, my comment <laughs> as well. But uh, the state got involved. And with the state getting involved like this, do they have studies that are, are going to be shown or are, are, have shown that what the impact is going to be if these homes don't get that natural gas or if they do get that natural gas or do you know what I mean because they, they, they've gotten involved you said so what, what's their course is it political is it economic well um, it's it's both um, there's a the short answer is no I don't believe I've seen any kind of studies on the part of the state you know, on the other side saying that aside from 
there, there have been, uh, you know, plethora of studies that have been funded by uh, groups in our neck of the woods, like the William Penn Foundation and the Park Foundation and the, the Rockefeller Foundation is sort of behind a lot of this stuff as well. Um, so there have been very uh, slanted, I would call them, studies, quote-unquote, uh, that support a position of, of anti-fossil fuels. Um, but what we have in our state with our governor, with Andrew Cuomo, is a philosophy uh, that it, at its core, and it's a philosophy, but in his case, I don't know, is it philosophy or is it, po I think it, maybe it's more politics than philosophy. Um, we have a small uh, vocal group of people that challenge him and prod him and, and force him to act and react in a certain way. Um, and so he's, he's passing all sorts of, and enacting all sorts of legislation and policies and executive orders and things like that that um, demand that we be, so, you know, in our energy sector, for instance, our electricity, you know, power gen, um, be, you know, zero, like carbon neutral by 2050. We actually, this is mind-boggling, and most people don't understand it, don't even realize it yet, to live in this state. Um, from Cuomo and through our state legislature, they've passed a law that uh, that is going to, if it stays enacted, and I seriously doubt it could, will cause everyone in this state that has an oil furnace, a gas furnace, a wood stove to heat with, that can't use them after, I don't know, about 25 years from now. Because uh, they, they, all energy sources have to be carbon neutral, quote unquote, and this is now the law, the law of the land, and it's 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 a breathtaking uh, power grab. And uh, I, I don't know how to explain it other than our Senate, for years, for decades, traditionally had been a, a few seat majority uh, Republican controlled, and that flipped at the last election has become Democrat controlled. And so the governor in both houses here, the Assembly and the Senate, are now in one party, and they're just ramming through everything they can possibly think of, uh, you know, in anticipation of the, of the time when, when it changes again. They're making changes like that. Um, there, is there talk about how they're going to replace those individuals that maybe can't afford a new heating system? Um, I've heard so many different studies of how the the Green New Deal is very discriminatory against the uh, people who are economically yeah. challenged. But you know, we used to call them poor people, yeah. but you know we, we don't call them that anymore. Yeah. So um, th this sounds very well, similar. Have, it, it's, it sounds like you're forcing yeah, people you're, to upgrade. You know, keep up with the Joneses in certain areas. Yep, yep, exactly. It's it's um, the only two things that they're just figuring out now. Uh, it's it's like an oh crap kind of a deal. Uh, you know, how, how are we going to do this now that we've made this the law? And the only two things that I've really read anything about thus far are uh, electric, of course, um, but also um, heat pumps, you know, and, and, and things like that, so which are, you know, phenomenally expensive systems to install. And, uh, and, and, and I don't know. So it's it's... Again, I don't see how long term how this can actually how how it can actually not get reversed at some point. 
but I don't know. Stranger things have happened. It's like New York now is trying to to be further left than California is, and it's uh, it, it's it's become a bizarre race. Do you have any idea why that is? Is that is is it a political thing? I mean, because Colorado is doing the same thing. Yeah, I yeah, I I, I guess it is. I mean. What I mean is, 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 is not necessarily the same exact laws, but they're bringing the ideology and they're bringing uh, this, this whole new wave of, boy, stri- stripping down industry is, is the only way I can really yeah. think of it. I mean, they, they, it really is. I mean, it's, it's stripping it down in a way that I've never seen in my lifetime. Here's the, the way I describe it. To people, um, the, the the overall philosophy and the, in in my opinion, the injustice um, of all of this is is to say this. Uh, so I'm I'm live in Broome County, New York, which shares a border with Pennsylvania. Um, Twenty miles from where I sit, uh, on the other side of that border in Pennsylvania, Susquehanna County is the number one natural gas producing county in Pennsylvania. And over the past 10 years, over the past 10 years, Cabot Oil and Gas and several other companies that operate in Susquehanna County have invested in the way of uh, signing bonuses and royalties and the money that they spend to do drilling in that county over 10 billion dollars with a B. And it, it's just incredible. On this side of the border, in our local news media in Binghamton, uh, you don't read a thing about it. And Governor Cuomo will, uh, you know, come off his throne and, and, and deign to grant us a million dollar grant for this or that. And everyone falls all over themselves and thinks that's just how marvelous this is. And I'm saying, 10 billion dollars and and we're settling for government pennies on the side of the border i mean that to me encapsulates the philosophy between the two you mentioned earlier too about some of the litigation on the pipeline side of things are are you seeing protests the old-fashioned protests or or is this mostly just now uh, drain people of their resources i call it hemorrhaging companies of their resources uh i I, you you might remember this back in the 2007s eights and nines uh when the internet was starting to really take over a lot of the media for those three years, it was who could last, really. Maybe it was even four or five years, heck, ten years later. Because, you know, newspapers, I, I, I give this example all the time. Newspapers in most cities had a monopoly for almost 100 years. And then the Internet comes uh-huh. in, and within 10 years, they're declaring bankruptcy. That is a paradigm shift like we've never seen before. But through a process of that, there was there was a hemorrhaging that was going on to see who could withstand which you know which regional company could withstand which regional local this and that and everything. It reminds me a lot of that, and and you're in the media, so that's why I thought I'd bring up that example. And I don't know if you were around in the media when that was going on, but it it just reminds me a lot of that where you just companies are hanging to hang on, really. Yeah. Um, I, well, I actually started uh, writing my site in 2009, so that's when I 
began to focus on this particular industry, I was I was involved um, for a number of years in, in uh, different industries um, separate from the oil and gas industry. So I've I've sort of been learning as I go uh, since that time. Um, but you know, you asked the question about protests and and things like that, and. Um, not a lot. I mean, I every time that I observe protests, uh, it's it's typically fairly small. And uh, you know, early on, talking about five, six, seven years ago, um, early in the process for some of these pipelines, for instance, FERC might be in the area and, and do a scoping hearing. You know, and I would go to that. And um, inevitably, you know, it, 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 it was the same script over and over in my mind, you know, that people that were anti-fossil fuel would show up and they would, I call it a, a circus freak show, you know, they would, they, they parade in front of the cameras and the microphones and make silly asses of themselves, if I can say that on your podcast or your, your radio show here, sorry. Um, but um, and and then uh, you know the, the rest of the audience would be filled with landowners and uh, people you know from the local union hall that actually want some decent jobs, um, and so typically it usually sorts out to be a fairly small number of people that are against, um, and yet you know those six, seven, eight, ten, twelve people get all the media play, <laughs> while you know the audience of three, four, five hundred or, you know, mentioned or ignored. Um, but I, I guess that maybe that's the nature of the, of the news beast. How about in the world of innovation when it comes to your pipeline uh, coverage and your pipeline news? Uh, there's a lot of different ways. I talked to a gentleman a couple weeks ago, pipeline silencers. He's got a piece of innovation mm -hmm. equipment, you know, that he, he sells to companies and it helps the safety side of things you know noise pollution if you will uh so there's all kinds of different slices to this whole thing and and that to me i love the whole capitalism side of of this oil and gas industry but how, how about when it comes to innovation you can you can go nuts on the capitalism part too but uh innovation have you guys been covering anything or are you seeing anything from your from your coverage yeah absolutely um it, I guess the the easiest way to put that, and so so there's technological innovations, but there are also uh, process innovations in, in the way they've learned to do things. So once upon a time, um, they would you know around here uh, down in Pennsylvania, they would set up a drilling rig, and uh, and they you know it, it would take you know two weeks to get it all assembled in, in place and they would start drilling and they would drill a um, drill a, um, a well that would be say uh, I don't know, five or six no, I want, no, it was maybe four or five thousand feet trying to think back you know what it used to be um, and it would take them literally uh, upwards of a month you know, to do something like that. And today, uh, you know, they sit up on site and they begin drilling and they will drill a horizontal well that goes 10 or 12 or 14,000 feet. And they'll get that sucker done inside of, you know, maybe two weeks. 
tops, maybe even sooner than that. So the, the, the technological innovations, the equipment that they're using, and the way that they're using their equipment, uh, the style, you know, their methodologies, that stuff has really revolutionized over the past you know, four or five years, absolutely. And um, new innovations are coming in all the time. Um, it's, that's the one thing, I agree with you, that's the one thing that really jazzes me when I'm, you know, I'm writing about the industry is to see, oh, you know, I'd come across a new company that's doing something, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a company that uh, has developed a new super absorbent, you know, erosion dam or something that, you know, that, that makes it 10 times easier to, to prevent you know, issues, uh, you know, when they're, when they're drilling or, uh, you know, putting a new road in or something like that. Um, that kind of thing is happening all the time in this industry. I'm not sure how much you go outside of uh, your region, but down in Texas and some other areas in the southwest, there's, there's quite a few pipelines that are going to be opened up and online in the next year. Corpus Christi comes to mind and uh, as a big... Mm-hmm location for the end result of those uh then you've got you know lake charles louisiana they've got all kinds of uh processing plants on the books and 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 their needs to get the supply there somehow so how's the I, i for me i'm looking at a big renaissance coming especially in the natural gas side of things with pipelines once these these completions are done up in the Bakken. They've got a bunch as well. But um, are, are you following it nationally, just kind of seeing that next level, that next big surge that's going to happen once these things come online? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just as a, as a matter of course, I'm, I'm noticing, um, hopefully, sometimes, the, the bigger picture and, and how it all ties together. So, a couple of things, a couple of thoughts. Um, number one is that uh, there's a fair amount of uh, Marcellus and Utica molecules that actually go to, to the Lake Charles area. Um, they travel down to Transco, and uh, there may be one other pipeline that's helping with that in that respect. But they travel on down through, and from the research that I've done, something like three, something somewhere over 300 a million cubic feet uh, per day of our gas is going to the Chenier, you know, Sabine Pass plant um, and getting liquefied and shipped out of there, you know, and in addition to the fact that our molecules are flowing to the Maryland coast, to the Cove Point LNG export facility um, along Maryland, and um, all of that gas that, that goes out of there, half of it goes to, to Japan, the other half goes to India. So, um, so the, yeah, the pipelines are interconnecting, um, and and also I'm um, I also in addition to doing what I'm doing for my for my own thing here, is I'm also over a year now I've been writing a monthly uh, column for Compressor Tech Two magazine, um, and in that column I take a look at, uh, at uh, gas pipelines and compressors, uh, any, anything of interest along those lines in all of the shell plays in the United States. Um, so I, you know, I've, I've been tracking uh, you know, some of these projects that are coming out of the Permian, for instance, that are going to the Gulf Coast and out of the Haynesville. And, um, and yeah, we have a lot of capacity that's coming online soon, which is a, which is a really good thing. So if I could 
circle back to the to the very beginning when we started to talk and you said you know like what are the big issues that that you kind of see out there well the other aside from pipelines the other big issue kind of plays into all of this and that is um you know the, the price of gas has been in the basement for quite a while and because of that um and and for the same reasons this is happening for for uh, you know largely oil oil drillers, um, gas drillers are starting to pull back a little bit. Um, they're not drilling quite as many new wells. Uh, they're they're still completing a lot of you know ducts that they've had drilled but uncompleted wells. Um, so there's a fair bit of that going on. But um, but the new mantra uh, I think across the entire industry, oil and gas is uh, free cash flow. You know, we get, we've got to get free cash flow. We've got to make the, the investors happy, which, of course, you do have to do. Um, and so what that means in our region, in the Marcellus and the Utica, is there's not quite as many permits being issued, not quite as much drilling going on now as there was, say, last year at this time. What kind of impact is that having on companies? You know, tw- rigs are down 20%. Um, I'm, I'm hearing everything from, you know, well, my business is down 10% because of it, but I've heard another guy who's found new ways to, uh, create revenue and his business is up 40%. He's more on the technology side. And so he's finding that a lot of companies are becoming proactive now with this technology after, you know, five, six, seven years of education. So, and most, actually most I would say 80% of the companies I've talked to are just steady Eddie, just, you know, maybe 5% up and 5% down, not enough to really get too worried about it type of a thing. But a few have mentioned, you know, that down or or up. So are you hearing anything from any companies out there with, you know, nationally rigs are down 20%, so it's no secret. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I guess uh, probably the, the, the poster child right now would be EQT. So EQT um, became the largest natural gas producing company in the United States a few years ago. I believe it was 2017 when they bought out and merged in Rice Energy. And uh, they, you know, far surpassed Chesapeake at that point. And of course, Chesapeake's been selling off some of their gas assets anyway now. So, um, but they're, they're a big company and, um, and they're headquartered in Pittsburgh. And they uh, recently, in it was earlier this month, laid off um, about 200 employees. So that was about, it was roughly about 20, 20, 25% of their workforce that they laid off at that point. Um, so, so there's, you know, there's the, uh, the producers um, but then, like you point out, then there's the supply chain. So, you know, in some respects, that might present an opportunity for um, the oil field services companies and, and others that are in the supply chain to come along and perhaps, um, you know, fill in some of the gaps um, that are that are not going to be there because of some of these layoffs. So, and they're not the only, you know, EQT is not the only one. But if I were going to name a third story, for this region, um, it would have it would be the EQT story because uh, uh, last late last year uh, the former 
head of Rice, well, one of the workers at Rice Energy, Toby Rice, he was the president of Rice Energy. He and his brothers ran it, Dan and Derek. Um, but Toby was the president, and um, and he uh, became disgruntled. He, he still owned a lot of shares of EQT, wasn't happy with, uh, with their performance. And so he set out to take over the company, and by golly, he did it. Um, he and his brother launched a, a proxy fight uh, to take over the board. And in July, um, at the annual meeting, uh, they were able to accomplish that and uh, dethroned the, the, the previous uh, CEO and, um, and uh, set up shop. And so now they're, you know, they're, their claim to fame is we're going to, we're going to do for the you know stodgy old EQT what we did with our young upstart company Rice Energy, um, and uh, we're, we're going to we're going to produce a lot cheaper uh, than EQT has been producing, and um, and and they're changing some of their methodology and uh, you know certain things like that. So so that's another I think fascinating story that uh, you know they were able to actually take over the company. So it's. In, in a certain sense, kind of like the tail wag the dog. You know, it's uh, you know they were much smaller. Race Energy was much smaller. Um, got bought out, and then they sort of flipped it around like jujitsu, and they came in and took over the bigger company. So the pipeline protests by litigation, and what was the other one? This, this the the second one was at the uh, New York politics or the innovation and pipelines. What were the three stories? I guess. The three headlines. Well, the three sort of broad, yeah, yeah the, the three broad uh, themes that I'm talking about that, that I see here in this region are are pipelines and the, and the opposition to pipelines, mm-hmm. no matter where that comes from, um, and then the um, sort of the, the, the pullback, um, the, uh, uh, softening in um, in new permits and drilling. That's it. Drilling less. You know, they're, they're kind of scaling back a bit and trying to be more fiscally responsible um, so that they can start to generate free cash flow. And then the third one would be the, uh, the EQT takeover by the Rice Brothers. Yeah, I was um, looking at my notes and I had that down and I just was, uh, I got not as many permits issued in the Marcellus. I was quickly, you know, taking my notes here. Like, because I know all of our listeners take notes, of course. That's what they do. They sit around and listen to a, the Crude Life podcast <laughs> and Pipeline right. News and take notes, right? That's just the way it goes. So um, how, how's it looking for 2020, then, if you're talking to some people and, and, and things along those lines? People are in, in meetings right now. And here's why I bring this up. Um, you've been doing this since 2009, seven, six, you said? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Over, over 10 years. Yeah. And the, the last time when there was a downturn, it's no secret that there is more than enough signals to say, okay, you know what? That, that there's, there's a change over last year. Well, you know, there is. And so <laughs> history says yep. that, well, the, the last time it was a downturn, that wasn't very fun, but the first year of that downturn Man, every government official and every organization that's a council and this and that kept spouting, but we're being optimistic. We're being optimistic. Um, mm-hmm. I, I almost feel like that was not as well intended as they had hoped. And I, I understand the optimism, but when there's a lot of small businesses really relying on that information and you're telling them to be optimistic when... You know, it, it's it's 
the reality was there, that the first year really did cost a lot of people their business. And do you know what I mean yeah. by that? To where in the oil and gas industry, yeah, well, yeah. I, I think they, they, they would have appreciated a little bit more of a direct approach. And I hope that this go around with some of the signals that are kind of out there that uh, some of these uh, leaders and, and uh, appointed officials and that sort of thing will be a little more direct. Yeah, and you know, this is where... In some cases, uh, it's it's almost like the, the oil industry and the gas industry is like almost like two different industries. Um, yes, they drill a hole, the same you know, oil comes out of the ground, and then other hydrocarbons come out of the ground too. You know, natural gas and ethane and butane and propane and all of them. But um, but for those with an emphasis on oil, um, there's the, it runs in a certain cycle, and those with an emphasis on natural gas runs in a certain cycle. Sometimes those cycles track together, and sometimes they don't. Uh, it's, it's been my observation. So, yeah, I, I saw the last sort of downturn that we went through. Um, in fact, there have been a couple over that 10-year period of time. But, you know, pejoratively, the other side says, we're you know, we're in a boom and a bust industry. And, uh, and uh, you know... I, uh, okay, <laughs> if, if you want to, if you want to put it in those terms, I guess you know I'll I'll buy um, and say okay, so it's boom and bust, and so what you know what can we do? Um, should we be doing anything um, to prevent that? I mean, the free market reigns, right? And the the, the market will correct itself. Um, the you know the the age old saying, you know the uh, the best. Uh, what is it? The best uh, solution for low prices is low prices. You know, it's it's, it's going to drive some out of business. It's uh, it's going to cause some mergers and acquisitions, um, and the market will rebalance, and uh, and then it will continue on. So, um, so yeah. It's, but but the, I guess the thing is about the shale aspect of this is it was just so new for so many people, especially like in our region. It's like you know. It, they hadn't experienced this boom and bust cycle uh, that the industry can go through, and uh, and when it hit the first time, it really bit hard. And so perhaps you know people are a little bit more wise um, in planning ahead and uh, you know be preparing for that sort of thing. I mean, I don't know if someone has a solution for it. I'm all ears, but. Um, my my recommendation, my solution is you just have to be aware of it. Jim Willis, Marcellus Drilling News with us. And uh, what's the website people can find you at? Yeah, it's Marcellus, and that's M-A-R-C-E-L-L-U-S, drilling, all one word, MarcellusDrilling.com. And uh, if they want to, you know, I, I offer my headlines for free. Um, I'm, I guess, one of those rare birds that I charge for the, the rest of the content. I mean, subscriptions are, are the primary way that I make my living. Um, I, I'll, you know, put the first couple of sentences out there so they have an idea of what the story's about. But anyone can sign up for the headlines for free and, um, and just sort of track along and see, you know, what, what's happening in our neck of the woods. What kind of information do you normally 
put out there. Uh, go ahead and give yourself a plug. I mean, uh, you you got a good mind for it, and you, you you're offering a good service. So uh, you know, let people know what kind of uh, subscription they'd be getting. Sure. Well, it's uh, it's it's online only, so I'm not uh, sending any paper products or anything like that. But um, every, you know, I'll, I guess the best way to describe that is is to describe sort of my process. So every day, you know, I'm up at five o'clock. And I am reviewing the news. I have a bunch of different uh, uh, news, you know, filters uh, that I'm using. And I'm looking for anything that captures my attention that I think would be interesting for someone who is interested in making a profit in the Marcellus and the Utica region. So that person might be someone that works for a producer. Uh, might be someone that works uh, for an oil field services company or a supply chain company. Might be a landowner. I have a lot of landowners um, that are subscribers that pay me to, to, you know, to read what I'm writing. So I'm grabbing bits and pieces of uh, news that's out there. I'm aggregating it for people, and I'm and I'm introducing it. I'm contextualizing it. I say, you know, here's why this is important or what's not important. Here's what happened last year, five years ago, ten years ago uh, on this issue, and here's the update for it now. Um, and, and, you know, and then let them go ahead and read it from there. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I in essence, you know, the, the value, what I tell people, the value that I offer them is that for a very low price, you know, $7.95 a month or $79.50 a year if you want to pay yearly, um, I am spending, you know, probably six to seven to eight hours a day culling through, reviewing, and pulling out uh, news that really is of interest to those who want to track this industry in our region and, and are serious about wanting to make some money from it in one way or the other. Um, and, and I get that feedback a lot. You know, you save me tons of time. I don't have to do this anymore. Um, so that's that's really what I'm all about. I'm saving people. I'm, I'm like their, you know, full time assistant for, you know, for the cost of a Starbucks every month. Well, I can easily see that. I mean, I'm in a very similar industry, and I, you know, I'm I'm glad to hear that you found a business model that worked. You know, I brought up earlier. You know that. 2009 was a big major paradigm shift in the in the media industry to where the example of i mean think take a step back and think about that i mean there were newspapers had a monopoly for a hundred years in towns and within 10 years they're going bankrupt that's incredible i mean in and so when these um energy company ceos I'm thinking of a John Gibson from uh, One Oak and Harold Ham from Continental Resources, Lee Tillman from yep. Marathon Oil, James Volker from Whiting Petroleum. And I'm not saying that to name drop. I'm saying that to give you the the level of executives that are using the word paradigm shift. Those guys aren't going to use that in marketing. They're not going to use that in an interview unless they really mean that. You know what I mean? And so... It's interesting to see all the different areas that's that's going on. Um, we looked at technology, and obviously that's that's the poster child for paradigm shift. And then when you put that technology, say, into an HR department, you can see how the big data is starting to create, you know, HR department paradigm shift, engineer paradigm shift, you know, LIDAR paradigm shift, archaeology paradigm 
it's interesting when you when we come to the world of uh, public relations and perception, because that is one area where I actually have gone on a few speaking junctures to say that's an area that oil and gas needs to have a paradigm shift. What I mean is Absolutely. we've made more money as an industry in the last 10, 15 years than any other 10, 15 year period in its history, $100 oil. We spent more money than ever, innovation, all this other stuff. We, we've got a state banning oil and gas essentially with with a public health setback rule we've got oregon trying to do the same thing wyoming uh did some restrictions on the blm land you mentioned earlier the politics going on in new york we have the green new deal we've got a couple presidential candidates trying to ban an industry i mean whatever happened to plastic straws for crying out loud now we got to get rid of a whole industry well that's quite a jump I mean, that's quite a jump. That's like, that's that's like saying, you know what? Let's let humans put be in charge of the environment. That's one of the craziest things I've ever heard in my life. We can't even take care of ourselves or Yellowstone Park, let alone the whole planet. So, um, anyway, I get get back to the the, the perception. I, I think that the energy industry needs to do a complete paradigm shift when it comes to how they approach people when it comes to the perception of energy. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I agree 100%. Um, and my observation has been uh, they, the industry tries to do it, at least those companies I'm aware of on, on, on my side of things over here on the gas side, they've tried to do it in a couple of different ways. Um, one is, uh, I, I guess the argument would be um, we're, you know, we, we drill in a more careful way and a better, more environmentally sensitive way um, than, than, than others do, you know, perhaps. Um, another sort of attack that they take is um, this whole, I don't know, it, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard for me to put all this in words, but I'll, I'll lay this out how I think about it. <clears throat> If we start from the premise that our opponent postulates, and the opponent in this case would be, my opinion, radical environmentalists. If we start from the premise that burning fossil fuels is causing a catastrophic warming of the earth, um, then we've already lost if we cede that point. Because there's the only place to go from there. What, what do you argue? Do you argue that, oh, well, our gas, you know, we're, we're going to figure out how to burn it a little bit cleaner. Or, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be a little more careful. We're going we're to trap every last molecule so nothing ever leaks out of any valve anywhere, even though it'll triple the cost, you know, to do something like that. Um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of room. To advance on that, so so I, I appreciate these companies. They do not share my philosophy on this, but I do not start from the premise that mankind, by burning natural gas and, and oil, you know, and coal and, and other fossil fuels, is is catastrophically warming the planet irreversibly. And I think until we come to terms with that whole issue, um, we're, we're always going to be on the losing side. I mean, we can, we, yeah, we can do our best PR efforts. 
we can, you know, we can say, hey, we're doing this a lot better. You know, look at all these new rules we've put in place. We've joined this this association and that certification group, and 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 they've certified us as being green frackers or whatever you want to call it. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not gonna that's not gonna satisfy the Sierra Club and Food and Water Watch and 350 Berg and all of these lunatic left-wing organizations. They are going to keep driving and driving and driving. And, and the, the point of their, their efforts, their focus, is that fossil fuels are evil. And that is how they want people to think of fossil fuels. And I personally, I, I say we have to fight back against that. That is just a wrong perception, totally wrong. Well, and what you just said is exactly why I bring up anthropology. The things that I learned in college, the way societies embrace cults and, to a certain extent, religions, uh, with a good versus evil. Yeah. You know, I mean, even even the way that the environmentalists have really positioned it, it's almost very much like the Garden of Eden, and mankind has come in and ruined the Garden of Eden. And so it's really playing a lot of the traditional Christian upbringing now. It's flipped the switch to, I mean, because they already know that they're aware of the original sin and they're aware of the Garden of Eden. And now you've got the, you know, Monty Burns from The Simpsons just being, you know, the big evil Lord. And it is, it's a good versus evil. And that's, that, that, that's where I think that, the energy industry really needs to understand that because it is not the, the old ways don't work anymore. That's what I'm saying, because now it's an emotional game. And if you're trying to yeah. get at them with facts and figures and 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 like when I brought my kid, my 13 year old kid to the Williston Basin Convention and it was like a lot of people were lecturing him. And that is no way to reach a thirteen-year-old. Don't don't lecture him on why he shouldn't know better. You know that 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 right. way that way doesn't right. work. <laughs> so no. you, you no. got you got to get him on YouTube and Snapfish and Instachat and all these other things. I don't know anyway. But. <laughs> well, Jim Willis, Marcellus drilling news. Uh, I'm looking at the clock here. We should probably wrap her up. Uh, just kind of give yourself a plug one more time so people know how to get in uh, touch with you if they want to reach out or if they want to read what you have and subscribe sure. and all that stuff. Sure thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's MarcellusDrilling.com. MarcellusDrilling.com. And uh, people want to email. You know, if you have a question or a comment or anything like that, it's Jim at MarcellusDrilling.com. Those are the easy ways to get a hold of me.